1: So we are doing something a little different. Last week when you, or two weeks ago, when you heard our episode with Wendy, we kind of just got right into it. We didn't do any banter. We were just getting right into it. We meant to do a little intro like this one (laughs) to kind of- Time got
0: away with us. Well, we also really wanted to make sure that that launched right away because of the Trans Pride event. We wanted to make sure it was there for that week. So you heard an intro for Darcy. As well which was last week
1: but today we had uh, Jill Stolwell on Stowell Learning Centers and she will talk to you a little bit about her background how she ended up opening up now four centers here in SoCal mm-hmm. and kind of how she created her centers so. yeah so
0: it's not like she uses a combination of both her own developed programs and For programs, quote unquote cognitive training. Right. Like that's the like area. Yeah, so she yeah, they do cognitive training that essentially seems like it's a good fit for students who are of of or around average cognitive ability. So are higher functioning kiddos who are just not reaching their potential and is a pathway for them to be able to reach that potential. So, you know, it does fall in line with our kiddos that are living with dyslexia butter of average cognitive abilities that they need our differential learners, that sort of thing. But we do want to make sure um, we're doing a disclaimer because sometimes we promote that they're like, when we promote inclusion, we say inclusion is good for everybody, right? But there are obviously certain programs and techniques that are geared towards and developed towards a specific population. And so we just want to kind of do that disclaimer that, you know, Jill's talks a lot about some about the science behind the programs and how she developed the programs that she does and kind of the type of learner that her programs are best used for.
1: So we try to think of questions that a parent would ask. There is an informational kind of like parent night that's going to be happening that Jill talks about in August. I believe it was the 17th. So for anyone that's in SoCal that wants to know more, it sounds like that was just like a general kind of like tips and tricks, like to kind of get your kid organized and things, so that's nice that they put that on. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. And if you have any questions about the episode, you know, reach out to us. We are still on call for any school district, OTs, speech and language pathologists, physical therapists. We will be having some private speech and language pathologists that deal with assistive technology and augmentative alternative communications on. They are not from the district, so we are still putting that call out, you guys. You <laughs> contact us. But yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. We'll talk to you next week. Take it away, Vicki and Amanda. <laughs> Today we have Jill Stowell that is going to speak about an area that we get so many parents wanting to know more about, and that's cognitive training. So Jill, thank you for being on. and why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about
2: yourself?: Well, thank you, Amanda and Vicki. I am really excited to be on your podcast. <laughs> I am the founder and executive director of Stowell Learning Centers. We now have four centers in Southern California, Chino, Irvine, Pasadena, and in the fall, we'll be opening up Thousand Oaks. Oh, cool. That's right
0: in my hometown backyard. I grew up in Agoura Hills, so.
2: Oh, well, I grew up in Ventura. Oh, okay. Kind of back to my stomping ground, too. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I've seen a a trend in the last, I mean, I've been in Orange County for about 10 years. And so I've seen that trend. Now I'm seeing a lot of other organizations opening up offices in Thousand Oaks or Calabasas, Newbury Park, that area, which is great because, you know, it's smaller communities up there, a little suburbia, but it's definitely an area that's needed, not just, you know, Orange County and LA.
2: Right. So that's great. That's true. Well, I actually started out as special education teacher, and I was working with students with learning disabilities. I was a resource specialist in the public schools, and I loved that population of students. They are so bright and talented and funny and creative, and they were also very, very misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yes. remember teachers thinking that because my kids had struggles with learning, they weren't smart, right? right. and, you know, they're just very misunderstood, and the other thing about them is that because they look like all the other kids, Mm -hmm. and they have all these talents and abilities, then people kind of look and think, well, you know, I can see that they're smart. They must not be trying, or they're unmotivated or Mm -hmm. lazy, and so when I went into private practice, I really went into private practice with that target population learning disabilities which now we tend to call learning differences Mm -hmm. and dyslexia because I just loved that population of kids and there was not very much out there for them. So at our centers we help struggling students, actually both children and adults, permanently improve or completely correct their learning and attention challenges, including dyslexia, auditory processing disorders, and diagnosed or undiagnosed learning differences. Let me give you a quick example. Derek came to us when he was nine. He was this really, really smart, really cool, charismatic kid, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't read at all and he was in special education, and his annual goal for reading on his IEP was to learn 10 survival words. So wow! I looked at that and I thought, well, nobody thinks this boy is ever gonna read. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out that he was profoundly dyslexic, but like a lot of dyslexic students, he was also really, really bright and creative, and we ended up working with him to develop the underlying auditory and visual processing skills that were so weak that he couldn't learn phonics, he couldn't really look at the page without it feeling like it was moving around but once those underlying skills were developed then we were able to remediate the reading and he exited from special education he you know, was in advanced placement classes in high school and And the last I heard from him, he was a very successful theater major in college. Wow. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. You need to be able to to learn how to read somewhat, but actually I heard... Oh my gosh, I'm going to flub up his name, but the Fonz, Fonzie from Happy Days. Oh, yeah. Harry Winkler. Yeah, Harry Winkler. Thank you so much. He profoundly disliked. Like, he had people read scripts to him because he was profound. And he didn't even know until, I think, one of his daughters, they got her assessed, and then he realized, oh, my gosh, I'm dyslexic. Yeah, it was incredible. So, you know, I'm sure their listeners are out there, and and they're wondering, wow, how did that happen to Derek, right? So the districts do their assessments, Are you reviewing the child's assessments from the districts, or are you kind of starting at your center doing your own assessments to, you know, obviously figure out what type of remediation and learning challenge they have?
2: Well, we really do both. I mean, if parents bring us records, we're going to review all of that because we want to see what has already been done. But we do what we call a functional academic and learning skills assessment because we're not, you know, our goal is not to diagnose them with anything or to qualify them for anything. What we really want to do is, you know, parents come to us and they have all these concerns and our goal is to figure out okay what is at the root of those concerns and then what do we need to do to change that. We really look at learning like a continuum that basically builds, if you think of it kind of like a ladder, Uh academic and school skills are up at the very top of the ladder. But underneath that, there are all these underlying skills, you know, sensory processing and neurodevelopmental skills and processing speed and memory and attention and auditory and visual processing and language processing. I mean, there's a lot of different skills that when kids go to school, it's assumed that they are in place. Mm-hmm. And But if any of those skills are weak or inefficient, it's kind of like doing a job up at the top of a ladder when some of those rungs underneath are unstable. So if you think about that, you know it's always going to take you longer. It's going to be harder. It's going to funnel attention away from the job that you're trying to do because you don't want to fall off the ladder, right? And that's kind of how we look at learning. So when we do our testing, we do formal standardized testing and we also do informal testing to really dig in and explore those underlying skills as well as the basic academic skills, reading, writing, spelling, math, language, comprehension, to see um, what's um, going on.
0: So a lot of our clients and a lot of our listeners very much like they live in this world even more than we do, right? With their kids, that their kids their priority. They do their homework, right, on everything they do. I mean, we have families that you know are reading through the Cal Ed Code and the Common Core standards to make sure that like each one is being met, right? They're doing their job because they know that you know they need to make sure that everyone that's working with their child is on top of it, right? So. We always want to make sure that we're asking the question, kind of questions that they might ask. And so I know that a lot of families have talked to me when they look at different agencies to look at strategies, you know, like Little McBell or any other curriculum is looking kind of at the, the science behind some of these strategies. So I see on your website you, you call it cognitive training. When when we look at the terms that you use of the permanently improving I know that cognitive therapy or anything along those lines often tends to be somewhat controversial whether or not it's an effective approach or if it is effective, does it like last? Is it just putting a band-aid, or is it something that is permanent? How does your kind of program the way that you approach this, you know, is there some kind of science behind like changing the brain mapping or whatnot? And is that something that, is it like when we learn a foreign language when we're in high school, if you don't use it, you lose it is the child will always have to continue to work on this? Or when you say permanently, it's they go through your program, ever have to kind of get a refresher?
2: That is really what we are aiming for. We are looking for our students to be, we call it comfortable, independent learners, meaning that, you know, they're going to be able to work at their potential, at their grade level, without outside help. And, You know, everything that we do is scientifically and evidence-based. I mean, that's important to us, too. And I actually, when I started out 35 years ago, I started out with one program. And by the time I got to my third student, that program was not a fit. And so I had to go out and find who was doing the research in that area that that student needed and it kind of started me on a journey that has lasted all these years I mean it's really been our students that have shown us what we need to learn and so over the last 35 years I have had the privilege to study with experts all over the world who were doing the research in their niche on okay. the brain, on memory, mm-hmm. diet, attention, all different aspects of learning. And so then, you know, I brought that back, and that's how we ended up understanding there's a whole continuum of underlying skills to be developed. And so every program that we bring in from other developers and every program that I have created for our center has a really comprehensive base of science and clinical research but what and the neuroplasticity research which actually you know was started in the 80's has had a huge impact because it says that the brain with intensive and targeted training can literally rewire and if you think about If you take just reading, for example, and this applies to, you know, almost anything. But if you take reading, you know, you've got visual processing involved. You've got Mm -hmm. to be able to process sounds. That's a different part of the brain. You've got to be able to formulate those sounds. So the motor planning part of it and... You know, you've got to be able to understand, I mean, the language part, there are so many different parts of the brain that are actively working when a good reader is reading. These different parts of the brain are lighting up and there are neural pathways between them. And if, you know, any of those pieces Or pathways are just kind of spotty, or they're not really, they're kind of working around it somehow, you know. Dyslexic learners, you know, their brain kind of is wired differently. And, but what we know from that neuroplasticity research is that with training, the brain really can develop new and more effective neuro pathways. I mean, it's really a phenomenal thing. And so it's validated for us what. We actually believed to be happening long before the research was even out there. So it sounds
1: like it's a mix, right? You're taking, but I, I wanted to clarify, are you taking other people's research and then kind of doing your own program or are there programs out there backed by that research that you're able to kind of, you know, purchase and then like use, you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, yeah, I do. Really both. Okay. So there are programs that other developers have created that we actually are certified and licensed to use. And then there are also programs where I've taken, you know, I've compiled all this different research and put it together. One of the programs that I created is called Auditory Stimulation and Training. Okay. And then it has an emphasis on reading and spelling or we have another one with an emphasis in comprehension. Well, what that is doing is taking, you know, the research on auditory processing. You know, if we don't develop the auditory processing, then the learner is not going to be able to process the sounds inside of the language well enough. And then taking the research on phonemic awareness and on reading fluency, on the visual aspects of reading, and it's just all been put together into a comprehensive program that's kind of hitting all those different aspects.
0: On average, how long is a student with you or working through these programs?
2: Most of our students are coming an hour to an hour and a half, three times a week, for somewhere between nine and 24 months. And I know that's a really huge range. But we see students ages four through adult, and we see all different degrees mm-hmm. of number and degrees of severity. Well, some students counted.
0: have to go through maybe only one of your programs, whereas another student might have to go through four of your programs. Right, like that. right,
2: because our goal is for them to be the most comfortable, independent, confident learner they can be. Have you yeah.
0: guys done any of your own research, kind of looking at the students who have gone through, like, years later, how effective... I'm assuming when a student is almost done with your program, you kind of retest them and you can see how far they've come. Do you do retests like years later to see how effective it is like after they're no longer? Because I can assume when a student is doing something just like any of us, when you're doing something regularly three times a week, you're going to be better at it than later on. Do you have any of that research that says whether or not it's the same effectiveness several
2: years later or a year later? You know, the literature says that when you do this intensive kind of cognitive training, the brain actually continues to, like the growth continues to happen. They used to say over six months, and now they're saying as much as a year because the brain is really acclimating and cementing that. What we have found, two really interesting things, one is I've been in business so long that we really have not retested, but we have communicated with many, many of our former students who now are, you know, have advanced degrees and are, you know, doctors and pharmacists and teachers and professors. And so we really have seen kids that parents, when they came to us, were scared about what their future would be. And afraid they would never be able to go to college. I mean, we really have seen our kids go on to college and be successful adults. The other really interesting thing that we've seen is occasionally, it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally we will have a student that discontinues, they're doing so much better, everybody feels good, they discontinue, even though we kind of know they're not ready to discontinue, but they do. And then you know, years later, like, you know, maybe a student discontinues in sixth grade, and then in 10th grade, they come back, or, you know, they come back when they're entering college, and what we find is where they kind of left off with us, that's exactly where we need to pick up with them. When we Mm -hmm. retest and we find, ah, the breakdown is right here, and it's carried them all that way but they get to a point where the content demand is so great that they can't they can't manage anymore without stronger skills so that's been very interesting to me to see that in fact the skills really stick and that's the whole idea between behind developing new neural pathways and getting them solid enough i mean it's, it's like it takes as much work to change them back right to lose them as to build them so you know based on
1: the research and then your own through the center what types i mean obviously you start seeing patterns what are the kinds of populations that you're seeing for instance is it you know more of the autism or not at all is it you've already mentioned dyslexia you know ADHD kiddos what are you seeing at the center
2: well our real target population are struggling students which could be students who are in mainstream classrooms even kids who are getting good grades but they're just working way too hard or too long to do it and then students who have specific learning disability which the term learning disability means that they have average to above-average intelligence but are struggling in a particular area academically and there's a pretty wide discrepancy there between their potential and how they're able to function in that. Sure. Dyslexia, auditory processing, we do a tremendous amount of work with auditory processing. Just inefficient learners, you know, kids who actually the academics are fine but they can't somehow they just aren't self-regulating, they're learning well enough, they're just not managing their time and Organization well enough. We do because of the kinds of skills that we work on. They're really the skills that every brain needs to learn. And particularly because we do a lot of things at the core level and auditory processing, or we have those skills that we can work on. We do have, you know, high functioning kids on the autism spectrum, kids that used to be identified as Asperger. So we have a pretty big spectrum of students, actually. Does this
0: cognitive training, it sounds like, I mean, a lot of the students that you're describing seem like the kids that should be functioning academically around the average range, maybe a little below, maybe a little above, and that for one reason or another, they're not functioning at that level. Does this cognitive training also work for students who their cognitive abilities don't fall in the average range, that are on the lower end of the spectrum, or that have intellectual disabilities?
2: You know, it does work for that population of students that you might consider slow learners, so intellectual disability, but you always have to determine, is this going to be the best use of their time and money? We have students, certainly, who have the diagnosis of intellectual disability, and I would call them slower learners. Their learning pattern is different. My brother-in-law has Down syndrome. He is a very functional, happy, well-traveled adult, but he is intellectually very low-functioning. So he has been in programs that are really, really appropriate for him. And I look and I think, could we help him? Yeah, probably. But would that be the best use of his time and money? Probably not because he needs, you know, the goal for him is not to really increase academic skills and school success. It's, you know, more functional things. And he can get that somewhere else better than what we do. So, yes, what we do works for those, if you want to say, higher level The the Uh, average cognitive, cognitive. right, right.
0: Is there some science behind the neuroplasticity that you were mentioning that kind of demonstrates that it just wouldn't have the same return on investment for some of those learners? Or is this something that you've just found um, from experience?
2: You know, the thing is that one of the things that we are born with is an innate intelligence. And I think it's really hard to judge exactly what that is because with our population, our target population of students, they may have real strengths and real weaknesses. And when you just put that together into a composite score, they may come out with a really average IQ, where in fact, if you developed some of those underlying skills, they would actually show much brighter than that. But when you have a student with a true intellectual disability where all of their skills are very low. You can impact that to some degree, and one of the programs, the cognitive training programs that we use, and their research has shown that, you know, for students with IQ, below 90, they were showing as much as a 28 point difference in IQ after doing cognitive training. That is profound. But you do also have to take innate intelligence into the mix. And so truly, our students, they may not be able to perform very well in certain things, but our kids are really quite bright. And I would venture to say that most of our students probably intellectually, are in the top 25% in their class. They just don't always look at, because of their struggles, reading or math or comprehension or whatever it is. And so once we get at the root of that, you know, they're able to blossom and show that.
1: So it's really focusing on those, you say, the underlying skills. And so when, for instance, a kiddo comes to you and they're struggling in reading, it's not just you coming to like you as a parent, bringing your child and they're just getting tutoring, right? They're not like learning phonics. It's more kind of activities. Like what is, I know you have various programs, but hopefully with that hypothetical, that makes sense. Like, okay, they're reading where they're dyslexic. And what is a type of program, you know, what as a parent am I to expect? You know, is there homework, if you will, or, you know, the training really needs to be done by people that you have trained at your center? Does that, I know that was a lot, but does that make sense?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's take kind of a classic dyslexic student. So, this student, of course, you know, the outcome that we want ultimately is that they're going to be able to read and write and spell comfortably and independently and quickly enough to compete in class. But They've probably had a lot of extra reading tutoring or extra phonics, you know, and they're coming to us because it hasn't worked. And so when we look at the underlying skills, chances are that they have weak phonemic awareness, that they really cannot process the number order and identity of sounds inside of words and so we can do phonics all day long and they are not going to get it because the auditory processing is their auditory processing is not giving them the information they need to even hear it or think about it so we have to develop that and we do that through sound therapy which stimulates the auditory system to take in a full range of sound frequencies, and most of our students do their sound therapy, they're listening at home, it's passive, so they just have to get the headphones on every day. And then in session, we do active auditory training, so we're really training the brain to process to actively process the language and the sounds and so we do active auditory training that's generally on a microphone with headphones or on working with forebrain or what we call enhanced lateralization a lot of dyslexic students kind of tend to read on the right side of the brain meaning that the language brain is the left side and so if they're trying to do that function on the right side because they often are, you know, more conceptual thinkers, that's just not going to work because the right side of the brain doesn't generally process language. So with one of our techniques, we actually are, you know, kind of feeding the language into the left brain through the right ear and not feeding it into the right side you know so we're sort of Mm -hmm. retraining how they process that information it's incredible the brain is just i mean we still
1: know so little about it i mean there's a lot of research out there and there's different ways that people are doing it and you know for us you know we're special education attorneys right we see the gambit of different trainings and programs that parents try and you know they always ask us like oh what you know and it's so difficult because we just we don't have that background you know that's why we have people like you to come on and And talk to us about it.
0: (laughs) So I'm sure there are going to be people who are wanting to get more information about Stowell and and not just Stowell, but like the science behind, you know, everything that you've been talking about. So what's the best way for them to learn more or get a hold of you?
2: They can go to our website, stowellcenter.com. It's kind of spelled like stowellcenter.com. And they can then find the center nearest them we have a free parent information night in all of our centers every other week so they can find the date and the location that's going to work best for them they can also call and ask for a free phone consultation and they can you know get all of that information from our website stowellcenter.com
0: Perfect. Well, we'll add that into the show notes for them to take a look, and we'll post that on social media as well. But thank you so much for coming on the pod and giving us all that information.
2: Oh, you are so welcome. It was really fun talking to you. You know, we have a back-to-school event for parents on August 17th. It's at all four centers, and it's free. And we have this, what we think is an amazing parent planner, and we're going to take them through all kinds of tips and strategies and things that they can do to get going in the school year and then really be able to help their child throughout the year so it's free any parent is invited and so i would love for people to know about that too that's august great that's that's wonderful yeah that's great we'll have
0: people take a look at your website and get that information out there thank you so much again for coming on and we'll We'll, talk to you soon yeah we'll talk to you guys later bye Uh, all right thank you bye-bye
1: Thank you.